Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to everybody. Let's go ahead and pray. Gracious and most heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day, for this church, for all that we have from you. Um, Turn your eyes to us now. Lord, speak to us, we would pray. Unstop our ears, enliven our hearts, bring uh, life where it is desperately needed. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Felt like I was microphone almost this is just a recorder I mean, does it feel funny to you it feels like i'm in this echo zone up here i've got this reverb i feel like i'm u2 or something like that that's my own megalomania isn't it so that's right so um this is a uh, beginning of roughly a two-part class uh with several weeks in between i'm not here the next next sunday and then coming back next Late. So I'm not teaching the next two weeks in the parish meeting, but then part two of this class, roughly speaking, is uh, with the first first uh, first Sunday in February. So, in loving me, you made me lovable. This is a quote. Do I know this quote? A little bit of sort of theology. You know it, Frank? So, from um, Augustine's Confessions, um, in loving me, you made me lovable. That's why it's in the quotation marks. Or another translation, which I'll bring up towards the end, possibly uh, in... Having loved me, you made me able to be loved. I think that's an interesting way also to read it. There's a certain uh, 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 decision that you need to make that I'm listing completely on others. I don't, I don't know a lick of Latin. Uh, 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 trusting the translators to tell us the two different ways that this could be translated. In loving me, you make me lovable. Or, having loved me, you have made me. Um, you made me able to be loved. And we'll look at that towards the end of today. At least that's my hope to see where we go. Quick, uh, just to kind of get used to to the room, a little bit of the heat, the crowdedness and all that sort of stuff. Um, prattle on a little bit. There's something I hope um, I'm very excited about. Uh, my name's appended to it, so that's one reason I'm excited about it. But uh, Mark Genelette, um well known to, to probably most everybody uh, here, our canon theologian, teacher at Beeson, friend of many of us, he is convening um, our second uh, Advent Theological Lecture Series, um, which we're going to start at the end of this month. Um, three weeks, it'll be Thursday nights, I think January 22nd, if memory serves, is the first one. If that's a Thursday, it'll be the 22nd, 29th, and the, what, the 6th, maybe the 5th, um, uh, whatever those Thursdays are, on the big word, sanctification, um, uh, a little bit easier way of approaching it. How then shall we live? Once this Christ event, all this has happened, what you might call justification or salvation or redemption or coming to faith, um, belief, then the question, which a lot of people ask, how then shall we live? In some ways, this class is this kind of where my, my brain is anyway, and so this class is an extension in some ways of that question, uh, but three weeks on that question, how then shall we live? How then uh, wither sanctification, this big question that's out there. And Mark's going to convene it. He'll teach on the first night, sort of the biblical basis with a very Mark, you know, a Genelidian um, sort of spin on it. And then um, two guests that we'll have, one sort of the Lutheran approach, i.e. of Martin Luther, and then the second, the Reformed, more of the Calvin approach. Uh, Peter Mowitz, um, that's how you say his last name, I forget how you spell it, it's like M-A-L-Y-Z or something like that. He also teaches at Beeson. He's going to give the uh, uh, the perspective from the Reformation that came primarily from, from Wittenberg, from Luther and his, his colleagues. Uh, and the last week, Bill Boyd, the senior minister at, at Covenant Presbyterian and a friend of the Advent, will be um, uh, teaching the last week 
on it. So it's three weeks, three different teachers. Mark will be sort of the primary voice. He'll thread the whole thing. Uh, I'll just be a very happy and eager participant with, I hope, all of you. Um, and bring your friends. It's an open event, Cramner House, this Thursday night. promises to be very enlivening. A key question, how then shall we live? What about uh, afterwards? Is there anything that we can describe as, um, you know, what then my response or responsibility is? Hence, you know, in loving me, you made me able to be loved. Um, what's after that? What's the next day? What do I do on Tuesday sort of thing? Um, so with that, uh, that's just kind of the, uh, the get settled part. Um, today, uh, this quote from Augustine, this is going to be old, old ground, um, which I'm just pleased about. I think later I'm going to do a, a series on Galatians in these next two weeks. You know, if you're around the Advent in some ways, certainly if you're around me, classes that I teach or whatever, this is going to be, you know, just another way to say the same old, same old, same old thing, I hope. Um, uh, in loving me, you made me lovable. Our text, very simply, two two texts. It's in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I thought we'd take Luke, just two verses um, out of Luke 5. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Mark 5, 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here we are. Um, Jesus, in these well-known words, at least to many of us, um, I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance, whatever this is, to repentance. I did not come to call the caller. He is speaking. Uh, he is calling. He is trying to evoke, which means to bring forth, same root of the two words. Uh, he gives a call. The response is the evocation of a response. Vocare um, is to call, evoke. You can hear the same root, evocare, to respond. Jesus calls. We respond. I did not come to call the, the, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, uh, the well have no need of a physician, but the sick and so here we are in this old good ground. I'm going to be fighting for the same turf that we always fight for. Why? Because I think it's important. I think, uh, as I realize these hours that we spend on Sundays, um, it's worth fighting for the same old ground because the other hours away from here, uh, we, we forget. We forget so easily. And what do we forget? We forget how key it is at the very beginning to get the categories right, to get the classifications right. I did not come to call the well, but the sick. I did not come for the well, but for the sick. What's the same old ground? Original sin, <laughs> to get the diagnosis right, to make sure that we understand who we are. The first key question, again, Augustine, who am I? The identity question. If I don't understand that correctly, then things begin to topple quickly. Strongly, you know, second, who am I and who is God and what has God done in Christ Jesus? And so there's the foundation points. Uh, again, same old ground, repetitive ground, breaking ground again. Um, these statements beg the question, can I get this right? Um, understanding who I am, who Jesus is, and what he has done for me. And Augustine's helpful quote, uh, in loving me, you made me lovable. The statement begs the question, how do people change? Can people change? Um, what is the agent 
or the cause of change. As sinners, if that's what we want to call ourselves, do we ever become something else? Do I ever not be a sinner? Am I ever not in this category that Jesus is describing very clearly here when the univocal voice and all three of the synoptic evangelists said the same thing? I did not come to call uh, the, the, the righteous, the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, does that mean he either sort of has a second word for those of us who are after belief, then what? Or do we stay in this condition? Or there's ever a point at which, and a lot of people believe this, uh, you know, Jesus saved me, but now it's more up to me. Now we're sort of, you know, I'm in this place where God wants me to sort of take what he's given me and be a steward of it. Run with it. Take it away. You know, take it away, Sam. You know, good luck. I'm here to help, but let me know how you're doing. So good questions. Really important questions. Um, so to come up to this, you're going to know where I am on this. Um, thinking about the same old, same old, the same old story. Becoming. Um, do we ever become something else? Um, what is, as it's the call and then our response, What might our response be to a non-evaluative, non-critical receptivity uh, to a love which creates rather than finds something pleasing to it? What if there was a love which was real and actual, concrete in physical terms, that in having it hit us, changed us what if Augustine might what if he's right what if in loving me and there is an assault there what if there's an actual event that in loving me I become something he makes me lovable what if that's true I've been there before we've been there before I mean we're I'm just trying to sort of warm the ground up again uh, clearly a repetitive team but does anybody ever want to move on from this. Does anybody ever want less of this non-evaluative, non-critical, um, open receptivity where I am received by another, especially when I'm in that place where I know full well that I'm wrong. I know full well what I've done, where I know full well how I've come up short, either just a little bit or just falling flat on my face, you know, off the end of my rope kind of stuff. Does anybody ever want anything less than this type of, of, uh, of non-critical, non-judgmental, open receptivity of just come. I see you, I know you, and I love you anyway. Does anybody ever want less of that? More personally in your life, in my life, when we're ever at the end of our option, the end of, where, where there's no other options, we're at the end of our rope in a big way or a small way, you know, who among us wants someone to come into our lives and say, you know, I know, I know you're hurting. I, I know you know what you did wrong, but I got to say one thing. <laughs> you know, you cost the company a lot of money. Um, or, you know, you put a mark on this family's name that's, that's not going to be easily removed. People around here don't forget, and that's never going to be forgotten. And that's going to be something you have to live with for the rest of your life. I'm just telling you. I'm just saying um, who needs a little bit of constructive criticism at that point? You know, if you would have done this instead of that, things would have been a whole lot di- different. Well, thank you. I know that. <laughs> I already know that. You know, when you're there, you don't need it. And that's the key part. That's the key part in all this is somehow, somehow, we're going to look at some stories here in a minute. Um, uh, 
it's this idea that um, this love does a first work. Uh, Luther would call it leading with the law. The first work, it reveals our need. In a, I'm going to borrow John Zoll's great book, Grace and Addiction, here again. In addiction recovery language, it's just being restored to sanity, better restored reality, where you see the truth, they see things as they actually are. I didn't think you were here this morning. Um, welcome. Um, uh, to be restored to the way things actually are, to be restored to truth for truth's sake. You know, when it's revealed to you, and it's not easy, it's, it's easily done sometimes, that, yeah, I screwed up. You know, I'm really in the wrong here. I wrecked the car because I was drunk. I did, I stole the paper clips, whatever it is. And you know it, and there's no if, ands, or buts. Uh, well, God is near. God is near. There's this place of being restored. Um, uh, there's a, that's the, well, let's just move on um, with this story from John. He starts this uh, towards the very end. Um, for those of y'all who know uh, the steps, this is in his chapter on the 12th step where you carry the message to other, um, other folks. I'm a big fan of the steps. Uh, why? I think steps one, two, and three in particular are some of the best ways to describe the process of repentance of anything out there. Um, came to realize that my life was powerless and unmanageable and then came to believe. There's a passive tense that's very explicit there. Came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to reality, to sanity, reality, what I just said. So there's this passive being placed into uh, to truth, being led with the law. I see myself as I actually am, and it's all need. And then finally, step three, uh, uh, gave my life and my will over to God, as I understand. Just to God and our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, taken, taken and absorbed. That's repentance, as Fitzsimmons Allison reminded us. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heart change. I have been turned away from myself and towards God. Um, so that's the steps. Step 12, John tells this great story. Because this is, um, in loving me, you made me lovable. The best way to describe this is with stories. And so here's a story about uh, an old-timer named Dick A. So I walked up to the payphone, and I dialed the number for AA. I started crying. And I said, I'm an alcoholic. Instead of rejecting me, she said, just a minute. You wait right there. And she sent me a guy named Ed. I actually resisted listening to him for a while because I thought he wasn't hip like me. I knew that I was just down on my luck. Ed, on the other hand, looked like he'd never had any luck in the first place. But then I saw his eyes. This is the, that he's being destroyed. This is the final piece that's finally being taken away, the shred where he was trying to hold on a little bit of self-righteousness. I did not come to call those who are righteous, but the, uh, but the sinners to repentance. The self-righteous, as Brennan Manning would, would, maybe the New Jerusalem Bible says, I did not call to call the self-righteous, those who thought they could restore themselves to God in any way, shape, or form, 1%, 99%, whatever. Uh, but those who knew themselves to, as the Psalms would say, have no health in them. And he thought that, well, I'm not, at least I'm not like that guy. <laughs> At least I'm not like Ed. But that's being taken away from him. Because then I saw his eyes. And he did what it talks about in the big book. He relived his horror, the horrors of his past with me. When he looked into Ed's eyes, he saw that Ed had nothing but compassion. 
because Ed was right there with him from his own life, from his own his own life being in the toilet, where his best thinking got him to that place where he also was on the payphone calling an anonymous number for AA in the city that he'd never been in and said, I think I need help. Um, and he saw that. He relived the horrors of his past with me. He told me about himself, and he did something that I learned a great lesson from. He asked me, he asked about me. He said, what do you do? And I started crying. I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. But he cut me off and he said, no. What did you do for a living before drinking got the better of you? And I told him about my writing. He actually recognized some of the things that I'd written. And he said, that's great stuff. You're very talented. God must really have something in mind for you. And then I just broke down and I started crying because no one had ever said anything kind or hopeful to me in years. And if he hadn't done that, I would not be here sober today. He had read the big book and he understand that we don't get anyone into recovery by being tough on them, that we get people here by unconditional love. They're already hurt and they've already been through enough hell. We don't need to add to it. We need to let them know that there's a place where there's hope. And that's what Ed did for me. After we talked for a little while, a Ford Pinto comes in play here. It's pretty funny. After we talked for a little while, Ed put me into his Pinto. And he got me to, uh, something to drink that could help me taper off the booze because I was now starting to vibrate, to shake. He realized that I was going into the DTs because he had worked with enough wet drunks before. He asked, are you going to be okay? I'm going to stop here for just one minute and get some money so we can go get you on track. And he got out of the car to use an ATM. It was the first ATM machine I'd ever seen. They were pretty new in 1977. It was a hot day, June the 8th, 1977, in Atlanta. And so he goes up to the machine to get his $20 or whatever. And before he can get back in the car, I couldn't get the door open because my hands were rattling so much. And I had thrown up all down the inside of his brand new Pinto. And the only thing he did when he opened the door and saw what happened was put his arm around me. And he said, it's going to be okay. If he had been critical of me, I wouldn't have been here tonight. But Ed knew that we don't have new cars, new jobs, or new lives unless we're willing to work with another alcoholic. And he loved me, and he cared for me, and took me a place where I could weather the withdrawals. So that's just one story, just one way to describe uh, what I'm calling the process of repentance. That Christ Jesus did not come into the world to save the righteous. Christ Jesus did not come into the world to save the self-righteous. Christ Jesus did not come into the world to save those who need a little bit of help needed an adjunct, needed some assistant. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. People that couldn't get the window down fast enough because their hand was shaking so bad because they were in withdrawal from the booze. And he threw up all down the inside of his brand new Pinto. And he came up and he put his arm around me and he said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This is love with flesh on it. This is Christ coming into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ did not come to save the self righteous, but the sick, but those who are aware that they need help. Um, I'll hit pause. Comments, thoughts before I move on? Look at a short film here, um, which is in French of all things, but it's got subtitles, um, which is very not me. I'm more of a Spanish guy myself. But, so. Any thoughts?
So then what displaces us and why do we go here so often to uh, the prisons, to um, stories of recovery, to alcoholism, to drug addiction, to, to, uh, to deathbed experiences, to places where you're in the hospital or you get the pink slip? Why, why, why go there? Well, it's pretty simple, actually, because reality <laughs> displaces us. It's like those balls that you used to get for your desk, you know, and just kind of go back and forth and just wham! When reality comes, everything else is suddenly cleared away. I mean, we've been there. I mean, this is an older group. Um, everybody's had uh, a ball that knocks the other six straight away, and it's just okay. This is, this is what matters. This is it. Everything else, all the hubris has been cleared away, and I see things as they actually are being restored to reality, to sanity. All the things that I thought are now um, burned off, taken away, drowned, whatever else. And suddenly, I'm face to face with a living God and the reality of, of a question of now what? Uh, in times of trial, theory, concepts, anything else just seems to collapse. It's the trials. That's why we go there. That's why we talk so often about uh, that time when, or that time that's coming, because it's always there. And for most of us, it's a lot closer to the surface than we, we care to think, or we care to let on, maybe. Um, uh, it's the small things that, um, that carry us forward. And one thing this film that really picks up well that we're going to look at, um, but I've noticed this too in my work with folks, especially folks who, that are grieving um, a loss, usually a loss that's, that's related to death, what do they miss? What do people miss? What do I miss about the people that I loved who, who are now dead? Um, a lot of times it's those small things, even the things that for a while were pet peeves. This is kind of a weird thing to say, but I've heard this from many folks now, and so I'm thinking it's probably going to connect with somebody else. Uh, those things that maybe even initially attracted you to a person back in the, the, the times of attraction, but then as the years wore on, thinking especially of a spouse or maybe an aging parent or maybe not quite so old a parent or anything else, that start to get on your nerves. Things like snoring or the weird sounds they made when they were in the shower or uh, what would be some other examples. The tendency to leave the blinker on in traffic you know, for mile after mile after mile after mile. Things that um, the socks on the, you know, just things that really got under your skin and then they died. And what you wouldn't give to have the socks on the floor again, to have the blinker going for mile after mile after mile. What is it? It's clarifying. That's all I'm trying to do. Those times that are great clarifiers, where you see things as they actually are, where you thought the sock really mattered, where you thought the sock really was telling you that she didn't care about you, and you realize that wasn't it at all. The sock was just an extension of her. The blinker was just an extension of him. And what you wouldn't give to have him or her back. That's what the sock's about. That's what the blinker's about. Reality comes and the one ball is left and suddenly things are clear again. And you lost it. Original sin sank back. And for a while we thought, seriously, you know, maybe we're just not compatible because I'm neat and she's messy or I just don't know if I can live any longer with somebody that leaves it on for so long. I mean, doesn't he look down? I mean, can't he see? <laughs> and you really, you, we delude ourselves. We think these things begin to matter. But then the ball comes, and it's just right there. 
And so that's what happens. That's why we talk about those things. That's why we hear stories like this. That's why we're about to look at this story. Um, I don't know where I saw this. It's been a couple of years. Sometimes I just cape um, videos and I uh, cue them in my brain or in my my um, uh, my cache, just waiting for a time. It seemed like a good time to do it. A little bit. I'm not sure I'm totally sold on this, but it's a pretty affective with an A. Uh, uh, short piece, about five minutes. Um, I'm, I think it's called a. Uh, it's a series of films, short five, seven-minute films, uh, all about Paris, all about love, the city of love, and different different shorts that go here. And this is about imputation, I think. What is imputation? That's a word I use a lot, uh, particularly from Romans four, um, where we normally hear the word is counted as. Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteous where we impute, where we give quality to another person or to a thing that, that it intrinsically doesn't possess. That's imputation. And so when scriptures, particularly Romans and Galatians and other places, describe God's love of us, that while we were yet sinners, where he counts us as something that we, that other than we are, where he counts us as lovable, even when we're in fact yet sinning, when we're his enemy, uh, when our God is our stomach, and not Yahweh. Uh, that's imputation. And this is a cousin of imputation on a horizontal level where a man, I'll set up a little bit of the story since it's in subtitles. Uh, we're going to see him sitting alone at a, uh, a little bakery and he is about to break up with his wife because he has a mistress of some 18 months, uh, a stewardess I think it is, uh, because the small things in life, the way that I think the way that she sings while she makes dumplings at the window really got under his skin. And he wondered, you know, I just don't think I can love her anymore. I think it's gone. And he's preparing to break up with her. And, and so he says, you know, let's have lunch. And she comes, and you know what's going to happen. Uh, she comes and she breaks down, crying. He's, his worst thought is like, oh, she already knows. Of course she knows. How could she not know? How could I be so foolish to think that she doesn't know? And she takes out these papers, but it's a diagnosis of terminal leukemia. And the story takes off from there, where he changes, where he breaks up with his mistress, and he begins loving her like a man in love again. And in so doing, he actually becomes a man in love again. And so it's a, you know, it's one, you know, let's, let's talk about it afterwards, because it's a, well, it, it, it creates a lot of questions, but I think it's a pretty effective film. So shall we watch it? Ready? Um, about five minutes. Yeah, you want to hit those? Thanks, Trent. Just play around with them. So. There you go. Thank you. 
qu'en chaque fois qu'il voit une femme portant un trèche rouge. So, any thoughts? It's an unusual little film, isn't it? So. Yeah, it wasn't this, okay, I've got to be a man here, somehow summoning an internal power. But there was a, uh, the locus of power was her weakness. He was drawn to it. He didn't move towards it, per se. Again, activity, passivity, hard for me to ever get away from that. It's just a key distinction. That's, that's a good input. That's good, thanks. Anybody else? So this, what I'm calling a close cousin of imputation, because it could be a parable. Yeah, I think it could be a parable of the love that God has for us. Um, does it work this way in practice? That's that's a good question. Um, it's definitely not formulaic, I don't think. We can't just sort of say, okay, so I just need to walk out of here. My challenge to myself today, New Year's, a good time to do this, is to, uh, to focus on the one ball or whatever it is, to, to, to make sure I remember what really matters. You know, it, I just I wish it worked that way, and it doesn't. Um, if James, the book of James, guy was right. When, we're like men that look in a mirror, and as soon as he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. What a, what a great description of who we are on our own, of who we are naturally, human nature. Uh, you know, we can see a movie like this, a short film, uh, read a, a great little piece from, from Grace and Addiction, and then our children are waiting for us, <laughs> or the socks are still on the floor, or whatever else, and, and there we are, just just slathered in need, just slathered in myself. You know, I can't get away from myself. And so, you know, in some ways today I'm going to leave it a little bit in tension there. It's not a formula. I can't show you a film. I can't give you a pregame speech. We can't say the right prayer, walk the right steps, do whatever else to keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing, or whatever else it is true. It's clearly true. For us to see the one ball is what matters and the other six uh, are all just dross and hubris, it's true. But see, knowledge of what's true is not quite the same thing as being restored in the passive tense to reality. You know, there's that, that need to beg, Lord, restore me to the way things are actually and away from myself and away from the way that I place things in my own mind. Um, what displaces us? Again, when reality happens, when life on life's terms comes to us and hits us like a truck, and that's why we go to those, those extremes. Uh, but, but those extremes, I'm more and more convinced, are present for those that have the eyes to see and the ears to hear many times a day. To see our own 
self-interest, our own self-centeredness, our own self um, being consumed with our own selves. And so back to our text in closing. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so we're back also to, uh, to Augustine's quote. Uh, In loving me, you made me lovable. Or because you loved me, you made me able to be loved. Um, what is this, this calling of each one of us as sinners to repentance? Um, you know, thinking about that this morning, in fact. And I've said this in, in a similar way before, but I don't think quite, quite the same way. You know, I, I, the story of Lazarus, it's so helpful because there's a great illustration of, of, of who we are in extremis. Three days dead, so much so that we stinketh, as, as King James says about Lazarus. And the imperative of Jesus Christ goes through the stone tomb, through the wall. And what's the word? Lazarus, come out. And the words of, and that the ears of a dead man heard those words. And he came up. He came out. He came alive. Animation. We go backwards from there. There's the imperative of Christ. You know, Lazarus, come forth. You know, it's, it's, it's a command. He's telling us what to do. But, of course, the, parable, the great illustration is Lazarus has no intrinsic quality in and of himself to do what the command says do. He's dead. He can't come out. The words themselves carry power. The command, the imperative of Christ, Lazarus come forth, created rather than found, a response. Lazarus came out. The ears heard. Quote from the Psalms came true. Lord, awaken our ears. Lazarus's ears awoke. And then the, the DNA rekindled and he was resuscitated and he came back. And so we come back. Okay, well, if that's true, repent and believe. Well, it's the same way. You know, why do we think so quickly that just because Jesus Christ says, repent, Gil, and believe, that, okay, well, he wouldn't say it if it didn't have any power to do it, that maybe, maybe, the way that Paul describes it again, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, as dead as a doornail um, in Scrooge, Scrooge's uh, door knocker, or as dead as Lazarus. And those words then carry a power to create rather than find uh, a response. That in loving me, those words make me lovable they begin to call forth a response. And so this love, which carries this repentance along with it, where it turns my heart towards God and I'm restored, the ball then comes around, uh, is back into the same place. And I came to believe that a power greater than myself, every minute of every day, is able to restore me to the way things actually are. That I'm the created and he is the creature and that passively I remain always in a position of reception. Um, and so this is the position of the Christian, that I'm always listening. Um, so I think that's what I want to say today. Um, I think that's enough. Uh, looking at, at uh, the 12th step and the story of Dick A and the, the great Pinto incident, and then this, uh, uh, as by acting like a man who was in love, he became 
a man in love again, um, drawn, as Michael so helpfully put out, to, uh, to vulnerability, to weakness. Um, how could he not? Well, that's, again, it's not a formula. He, he could. He could. That's the tragedy of the human condition. He could have walked away. People have done it. So I'm going to hit pause. Any, we'll, we'll continue this one more week um, in February. Any thoughts before we wrap up or break? I mean, it, wasn't, yeah. it didn't seem as much as his action in becoming the man that, or acting like the man that um, was in love with her. It was when she made that report and then it was needful, then it did it all itself. Yep. It stripped the right way everything that he was thinking of and coming to the table and just left him down to that person he could love. Yeah. It's a nice little film piece. I mean, in short time, you know, she's even walking along running her finger over the, the iron, you know, God, it's just so, he was watching her, and it just grated on him. I mean, you could just feel it, couldn't you? I mean, he just, he had such disdain and contempt. I mean, it really impregnated that moment well. I think that's why I like this clip, because then uh, she pulls out the papers, and something else happens. A power outside of myself restored me to the way things are. Something important. Let me pray. Lord, correct me, I beg, where I am wrong. Um, uh, strengthen your word, Lord, so that it would carry uh, your power, a power to awaken sinners from, from their death, from their slumber, so that we would rise, O sleeper, and awake, um, be awakened by you, and find that we, in, a, in, a, in an amazing way, uh, uh, would find our life lived only in you. We beg this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.